the Rangers had their first two games. Not great, but hey, they did get a point in their home opener Thursday night. We react to the losses to the Stars and Capitals and discuss the decision to start Alex Georgiev on opening night. The post's Larry Brooks drops by to analyze what we have seen so far from the Blue Shirts. We also honor the late, great Rod Gilbert as Rangers great Ron Greshner joins us. Games are underway and we have lots to do. Next on Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post. Welcome back to Up in the Blue Seats, a New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts. Make sure to go in right now. Give us a five-star rating. Write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Hall of Fame writer Larry Brooks of the New York Post is going to join us in his usual spot. We'll also have a special guest spot with Ranger great in front of the program, Ron Greshner, as we honor the life of Rangers legend that passed, sadly, Rod Gilbert. But now let's welcome in your host of Up in the Blue Seats. That would be New York Post queen, Molly (laughs) Walker, and her co-host, Rangers great, number 10, Ron Duguay. Well, hi, Jake. Uh, Thank you for that intro. Well, lots to talk about today. I have a level of excitement because the season has started. The Rangers have played two games. Expectations were high. We didn't know really what to expect. New coaching, new players, new character, some toughness. And so they go into Washington and they back home last night against Dallas. Somewhat disappointing, but uh, it's a uh, learning curve for, I think, for everyone, including the fans. But the thing is, the season has started and the fans are back in Madison Square Garden. The energy is back. So it's all really good overall. I'm happy. Today's Friday. I'm happy. And I'm looking forward to talking to Molly, (laughs) our our queen, (laughs) as she went on her first road trip and she got to spend some time with the great Larry Brooks. Because we have much to talk about, Molly, tell us, what was it like your first road trip? Not only was it just being a writer, journalist, going to a new building, but it was you spending time with the great Larry Brooks. What was that like? <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a really fun time. But yes, I've been in the car for, for quite some time and you know got over to Washington and beautiful parts of the city and the arena's great. And we had, we had a really great time. It obviously was a bit of a dud of a game, but the experience experience was there and and Ron I, I missed your instant analysis it's it's always very spot on so <laughs> yes well so what you know with Larry for the listeners they know him as Larry Brooks the writer a very good hall of fame but you've gotten to know him as a person almost you have you guys had a date night where you went out for dinner, you had lunch, breakfast. So you're essentially getting to know him. How would you describe Larry as a person? Something that we may not know about him. He's actually very, very funny. (laughs) He makes very, you know, quick comments. You know, he's always, he's very sharp. Everybody that reads him knows that he is just so sharp on on all of his thoughts. And and it always comes out in hockey, but it comes out in uh, everyday life as well. So we had a really good time. Uh, I, I am curious if he is sick of hanging out with me for no joke three days straight so maybe i'll ask him later but yeah we'll see (laughs) yeah well for everyone listening just so you know molly and i have not met we see each other (laughs) right now we have talked 
We've talked about meeting in New York, but we haven't done it yet. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to our date night, Molly, <laughs> in New York. And I, the only thing is, I'm wondering, do we bring the anchor with us? Do we bring Jake with us or is it just you and I, we get to talk? Uh, we have to bring Jake <laughs> and we have to bring my mother. Like, oh. you, you think that I'm coming, well, you, you, know, you know, to meet you without my mom? Ron has met, Ron, you've met Molly's mom before you've met Molly back yep. in the 80s. Yeah, you back met in the Molly's day. mom, which is nuts. Well, that's mm -hmm. the old fashioned way. You got to meet the mom first <laughs> <laughs> it makes a lot of sense <laughs> yeah anyways let's get into some hockey here yes. and um because you have an opportunity to talk to players of course you talk to Shusterkin and for me game one the goalie decision was a little bit odd and I didn't know that coach Gallant had made a mention early on that he didn't feel comfortable with goaltenders playing back-to-back -back games and this is all new to me and uh, so you've talked to Shesterkin and obviously he was disappointed with the overtime goal he felt like he could have stopped that so for me my question would be to him I know he would have goaltenders will tell you all the time Lunkus will tell you all the time I want to play back-to-back like, I, I'm like a part of the team. I want to be part of it until I tell you I can't play. I want to play. And so what are your thoughts on this idea that Coach Gallant doesn't feel like his goaltenders are going to play back-to-back? -back? And do you think, after what we saw this weekend, that that might change? Well, first of all, I think it was a new day and age when, when goaltenders could speak out like that, you know, right now, especially with hockey players, you know, no player is going to, you know, assert something like that it's all up to the coaches and, and that's something that Igor pointed out he said obviously it's a coach's decision but he said he is willing to go in back-to-back -back games and we asked him if it was it was difficult to do back-to-back -back games because that's what Gerard Gallant said he doesn't plan to do he, he, you know immediately when I asked him because sometimes you have to be specific with your questions and Gallant doesn't reveal anything about the lineup doesn't reveal a starting goalie but I wanted to know what went into the decision making process for those first two games being back to back and he immediately pointed out that it was consecutive days and he in this entire season doesn't plan to do that a lot so immediately I said okay it's one and one and that was a good thing to, fi to figure out but I honestly kind of anticipated that they were going to go with Georgiev in the season opener just because they wanted to have Shostakin open at home. Plus, apparently the stars were waiting for them in New York, so they were going to be facing a fresh team. So they wanted their number one guy in net then. But that being said, it is a little peculiar that they didn't start with their number one on opening night. You know, you start you start strong. You do. You you, you know. So, but I I get the what the thought process that went into it. But I do know a lot of people were rightfully a little puzzled by that decision. Yeah. Well, let me just share as a player, having played, having played for a long time, I have a pretty good idea what that dress room is like. I know the feeling of players looking around in the dress room, going out for game one, the anticipation. You look around at your teammates and you look, say, you know what? We're a pretty good team. You look at Panera and you look at Zabanajad. You look at the toughness. We're going into this game tonight feeling like we can win. And then your backup leads you onto the ice. In game one, it's like, why are we holding? And this is a, a mindset a player like myself would have. Why are we saving our number one goaltender for tomorrow night when tonight is tonight? There's a certain mindset to that psychologically that I understand. And I would think 
Jerry Gallant would understand also. You put your best lineup out there. You want to give uh, win game one, especially when you're playing against Washington, a team that you think that you're playing against to make that it's a divisional final. opponent. Yeah, divisional no, that's, opponent. That's the other thing. That's the whole other layer to it is the Washington game was a more important game. Yeah, it's two points that may put you in or out that wild card spot because everyone figures that if the Rangers are going to make it, it's probably going to be a wild card spot. And if Washington makes it, potentially they're in a wild card spot also. A lot of analysts believe that Washington is on the bubble. I need to ask you about Washington because they're going to be the talk because we're going to be going up against them. After what you saw in that game, what are your thoughts on Washington now for this season? Well, my number one thought on that game is that Panarin and Zabinajad didn't register a single shot. It was, you know, the top two lines just absolutely disappeared and that can't happen any game, let alone against a divisional opponent. Washington has a lot of star power. I mean, not star power, but they have a lot of continuity in their lineup, I guess I should say. And that's something that the Rangers are missing right now. And it's still a lot of trial and error for them. And the fact that Sammy Blay got hurt, you know, it's just another layer to settling in and not getting a chance to build chemistry with the with the players you want in the lineup. That's the other thing. They went with the rough and tough version of their lineup in game one with Jared Tenorti, who had a pretty rough night. Dryden Hunt was in there. You know, that's totally fine, I, I obviously, with Washington. And I asked Gallant, I straight up, I said, if it was any other team on night opening night, would you have dressed this lineup? And he said, yes. But I think the next game... Even though Sammy Blay was out by default, Lundquist was always going in for Jared Tenorti, you know, but if he's your number one guy, it's kind of like they went with the rough and tough version and, and I don't think it worked. Okay, so moving into last night's game, the beginning of the game was honoring my good friend and the friend to many, uh, Roger Bear. You were there. What was that like? What was the the sentiment? What was the feeling in the building as they honored Roger Bear? We're going to have Larry Brooks on, also Ron Gressner, who was a teammate and a good friend also to, to share about Rob. But you were there. What was it like? What was the feeling like in the building? It was an absolutely beautiful night. The arena looked great with all the t-shirts um, with his number seven on it. And, you know, us in the media, we got a bunch of, of little knickknack stuff that have his number on it. And they played his highlights in a ceremony on the big screen. And then they introduced his family. And when they introduced his family, there were a couple of them were, were crying. And that's what set me over and I'm sure a lot of other people in Madison Square Garden I don't think at that point when they introduced his whole family which was enormous by the way <laughs> there wasn't a dry eye in the house and and it was it was really beautiful it was the fact that they lost in overtime did put a little bit of a damper on what was otherwise a, a very a very beautiful night yeah so for Rod he was the heart and soul of the New York Rangers for a long time and then of course we know him as the ambassador Mr. Ranger so he continued that and that's where I got to spend time with him but right now with this Ranger team, you talk about leadership, captains, and that sort of thing, because Rod was a captain, alternate captain. Jerry Gallant decided he's going to have, what, four or five alternate captains. So there's still no decision on that one guy that's going to lead this team. What are your thoughts on his decision? Because he's been criticized quite a bit with those who are waiting for one guy to be pinned that C and it's still not there, but there's all these alternates. What are your general thoughts on that? You know, I, I have thoughts on this. And after 
talking about it in length with with Larry actually on the road. The fact that Chris Drury described it as a priority in, I think it was Gallant's introductory press conference, making a statement like that, it's immediately going to be, it's going to go down the entire organization. The team is all going to hear it. You know, we're all writing about it. It's it's a storyline. And then to not do it, I mean, you're like you said, you have that player point of view, but wouldn't you have been expecting it? And then for it not to happen to just feel like, oh, okay, is there nobody else in this room that you feel like is, you know, capable of wearing a C on on our chest, you know, like, and that's kind of almost a little bit of a doubt. And I get, you know, it does fit with their narrative a little bit that they're trying, you know, Galana is very, I treat every, all 23 players the same. We're looking for a, a leadership group. You know, it's not just about one guy. It's everybody has to pull on the rope, you know, which is true. And that's something that the Islanders do, but the Islanders have Anders Lee. Anders Lee acts like a captain. And I think that's a dynamic that the Rangers could have benefited from, but then to just name six alternates, it's like, okay, did, I guess they didn't feel like any one of those six guys was worthy of, of the captaincy. And and I think that's the message that was sent, which I'm not sure if that's the message you want to send. Yes. And I, I'm in agreeing with you. And and I think when you, when Kreider made that statement and then we saw what we saw out of him on the ice, it was like he was really wanting to be that captain because He's one of those guys that if he is asked to do it, and I think that I, I think we would see the best out of Chris Kreider if they gave him that seat. Now, in, in, I agree. In, yes, I diff- wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. I so do. at different times we see it out of him. He wants to be that guy, but I think until you pin it on him, he's just kind of going to be in and out of that playing that role. He's an older guy. He's been around for a while, and he understands what a captain means to a team. And he also understands what it means to play on a team where you don't have a captain. I agree. I also just think he has the demeanor for it. You know, looking at that leadership group of all of them, he has the demeanor and I guess the media presence and the locker room presence as well from what I remember when we were in the locker room that he'd be able to handle it too. But I don't know. I just, I think they went wrong by by saying it was a priority, no joke, before the season, before preseason even started. Because the whole offseason, we were like, okay, we're getting a captain. That's it. And it, But then just not have it happen is a little well, One of the Rangers that provided uh, leadership on the Rangers, who's no longer there, but he is around. And I'm asking you now, are you happy to see Henrik doing television? <laughs> and you can see him. And you can hear him. And now we we may hear him in a different way, in a different voice, where in the dress room, he's going to be protected, right? They're guarding every single word. And a lot of these players do that nowadays. We don't have many Brett Halls or Chris Chelios <laughs> that kind of say it the way it is. Uh, so now Henrik is, is, will be on MSC TV. And uh, I don't know if you've listened to anything he has said, but he's around. And I know you've been a big fan of his. So your thoughts on that? <laughs> I, uh, you know, I actually, I, I didn't get to hear him at all because I was at the games, but I think it's great for him. It's great for MSG. Um, he's such a notable face, you know, for the organization. I mean, he was the face of the organization for 15 years. So it's very fitting. And yes, he is made for, tailor-made for TV. And I think that it's it's going to be great. And uh, he'll be able to have probably pretty good banter with Steve Valaket from the goaltending.
bartending side and friend of the show, Steve Valkett. So I think it's great. How, how intimidating is that for Valley? I mean, he's it, looking at his right and he's like, oh my God, yeah. it's freaking Henrik. <laughs> you know, I thought Goodness. about that. I did think about that. I was like, oh, Steve's, you know, got some competition now. Coming for his job. Yeah. Be careful, Valley. Well, and, and, keep, and keep in mind, he's sitting in my seat. <laughs> he's in my seat. I was about to say, let's not forget who the OG seat belonged to. And my mom's, honestly, Ron, my mom does really love Henrik Lundqvist. So she did send me a picture of her screen and she said, Ron, question mark, here's Hank. Yeah. Oh, no. No. Oh, sorry. Doogie and the king. Doogie and the king. Rock and roll group. Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's room. There's room for another seat on that desk. So I can go back there. <laughs> and just kind of stir things two up. Two goaltenders. You have two goaltenders talking analysts. Nah, you need a forward out there. Is this so, you buying for your job back? Yeah. Well, I, I listen. I would love to. I would love to go back for maybe ten games just to be part of it because I I like Henrik and Steve and I work for a while. We work well together. But two goaltenders on one on one desk. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> now you got you got to break that up. No. I, too, I honestly, too analytical. I agree. No, and yeah. I think I think Lundqvist is going to be on for twenty games. Yeah, so that's that's a decent amount. We yeah. should be excited. Everybody should. He couldn't be. handle another eighty-two game season. Twenty <laughs> is enough for. I him. don't blame him. Honestly, I don't even know how I'm going to get through this season. <laughs> All right, Molly. One last thing before we get to Larry, the other Lundquist, Neil. Your kind of your thoughts, impression on him last night. I know that uh, that's a lot to ask a young guy to go and play Madison Square Garden home opener. And there's got to be the nerves. What'd you see out of him? I think he held his own for what the game was. And and I think that he obviously, like every other rookie, anybody else that plays and makes his NHL debut, first couple shifts, little nervy, little jittery, but that's bound to happen. But I think he totally settled in by the end of the game. And I, I think he held his own. Wasn't any anything standout, or, but also wasn't standing out for anything negative either. So that's, I think, all you can ask from a rookie in his NHL debut. And Gerard Gallant, said that that was his message to him he said just go out there and have fun play your game he should only be able to to build on on it from here yeah okay well let's uh i want to get on with larry and his thoughts on his weekend with you in washington <laughs> oh, god <laughs> Joining us, as he always does on Up in the Blue Seats, is our Hockey Hall of Fame Rangers beat writer at The Post, Larry Brooks. Follow Larry on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy. Make sure you subscribe to Post Sports Plus to read more from Larry and interact with the both of us. Get your free 30-day trial now. Go to nypost.com slash sports plus. Larry, I guess I have to start with, are you sick of me after spending three (laughs) straight days including 10 hours in the car next to this face. <laughs> no, actually, it was a uh, it was a rather pleasant experience, I have to say. <laughs> I, honestly, I'm honored that, that you would think. You know, what my, you know what my mom said to me before I got in the car with you? She said, try not to talk the whole time. Give Larry a break every once in a while. Because, like... You're probably going to overwhelm him being in the car with him for so long. I was like, you know what, mom? That's probably a good pointer. So I was very self-conscious about that in the car. I tried not to talk the whole time. (laughs) 
listen, I you listen, I give you I give you a grade A for for listening to my music. Oh yes. Molly was transported back to the sixties. Yeah, I literally get in the car, he goes, Sorry, you're gonna have to sit in the sixties with me. I said, you know, that's totally fine. But then he started asking me, Do you even know who sings this? And I was like, Oh, don't even if you do that to me the whole time. What kind of music was it like? Was it Rolling Stones? What were you listening to? There's a little Beatles. Little yeah, Beatles. serious, you know, it was like my my serious uh, channels are like, like 60s, the 60s on six and, yeah. and Frank Sinatra. So I, I asked the mama, there was a song from the mamas and papas. And not only did Molly not, was not uh, Molly able to identify it, she had never heard of the mamas and papas. And so, <laughs> but I, which I can understand actually. But then I, I switched down and to Sinatra and I said, listen, you have yeah. to know who this person is. Yeah. <laughs> And and fortunately, my oh, it's Sinatra. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this one I know. And then I was like, the voice. I, I have yeah. to know this. I wouldn't yeah. be like a true. I couldn't write for the New York Post if I couldn't identify Sinatra's voice. Right. <laughs> Over good. the course of the year, Molly, you're going to learn so many new groups from the sixties. I know. know. No, the I platters, be... the drifters. Right. You're going to learn a lot. I yeah, that, that to the seventies with Ron. <laughs> wow. And then with Ron Stewart, the Bee Gees, Billy Joel, <laughs> Bruce Springsteen. It's like I'm getting a lesson in music history. You know? Yeah. So, so Larry, I need to ask you because we're talking about road trips, and because uh, I could tell you as a player, we love road trips. Love being with the guys. So much going on. The stories. What's it like for you now? Because you've been doing this what for over forty years. Do you enjoy the road trips? Do you enjoy going to other buildings uh, the night before, uh, the restaurants, all of that? Has that gotten old for you, or are you still really enjoying it? No, I, I enjoy it. Um, you know, some cities more than others. I, I think you know it, it's so different now. What I what I really enjoyed was the relationships that you build on the road. But you but you know as as teams bond. You know, Ronnie, when 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 you played, the writers who traveled with the team were were part of the traveling party. One on the team bus, one on the team plane, and and uh, a number of times would go out, you know, together after games, and so that the road was a place where you could build relationships not only with your your colleagues, and it's interesting you spend so much more time with people against whom you're competing every day than with the people on your own side. So that's that's tricky. But but honestly, um, you got to spend time with players and after practice, after games, and guys guys were always available, and and so that was that was part of the growing process for me as a as a reporter for sure covering teams um as that has evolved it's, it's great to go on the road to certain cities it honestly is but it, but you know for for us too it's a grind it's a real grind i mean now uh the way teams travel it's almost not flying we're not on the charters at this point and so catching commercial flights and uh, you know it's tough it's a grind but it's it's an important part of the experience to understand the fabric of a team. You know, beyond the fact that you wanna you wanna get to the best restaurant in Vancouver, you know, or, or you, you wanna you, you wanna be able to uh, see what Dallas has to offer. It gives you a, a window into a team when they're on the road, when they're you know when they have these tough games to play. So the the road experience is is all part of it. Do I look forward to it a little bit less now? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the emphasis on the certain cities. 
I gave Larry an uh, an opportunity to handpick each road trip that he wanted while we were while we were in Washington. He snagged the California trip from me, and that was the one I was looking well, forward still, to. Well, we're, we'll start, we're we are still negotiating on that. <laughs> no, you're taking you're taking Cali. No, but you right. wanted to go to Vegas, right? So. Oh, of course, I want to go to Vegas. Yeah. So we'll, see. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, just so Larry, that's all I know. That's all I knew was our relationship with the reporters because we. Right. Be together all the time we would become friends and we had a mutual respect for each other meaning the writer would write it the way he sees it but because we were together so much they would actually be with us sometimes when we go out at night right and this is what i remember with reporters so in 77 i'm in um we're practicing in long island and i can't remember her name but she was a female reporter that would come in the dressing room mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to ask Gress this later when he comes on. But I believe her. she wrote for the Daily News. Lori Mifflin was there um, for the Daily News. Uh, Robin yeah. Herman for the Times. They were, they were you know, two of the real trailblazers. Okay, she, she, was, she was blonde and she was pretty. <laughs> That's all Ron remembers. That's all I remember. But it was, it was, they come in after the game and we're just in and out of the shower. And you're just wearing, you just have the little towel. <laughs> And it's like, I had to look around like, what how, What do I do here? Because she's standing right in front of you. Do you get dressed? Do you not get dressed? Because everyone's walking around half naked. So that was a whole new experience for me. I'll tell you what, I, I remember because I was with, I was covering the Islanders then. One year, the Islanders gave out bathrobes to their players. And, oh, that's hysterical. And that uh, lasted for about a game. <laughs> you know, it's like guys were walking around in their bathrooms like, what, what is this? <laughs> yeah. So, no, I, I can imagine. And, and, and the mid to late 70s is when it is when female reporters did start to gain entrance into locker rooms. And I thought, and I have to say, it's a whole different subject entirely, but I think as, as male colleagues, we were supportive, but it is also, you know, looking back, and it was a long time ago, Looking back, some of the cities didn't allow women into the rooms. And, and it was, it, you know, the challenge, there's still a challenge, obviously, but the challenge back then was exponentially higher. These women who who uh, were trailblazers were very, very special. Hell yeah. yeah. You, and so, Larry, you remember Donnie Murdoch? Sure. Donnie was the worst... <laughs> He would do the slippage. Oh, slip, fell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you. I'll tell you. Because I, I honestly got, I only got a little time in the locker room before the pandemic happened. But hockey players were always, always modest, always like, you know, conscious of it. But the football players, <laughs> the Giants and the Jets would no joke be prancing around the room. I would, yeah. I, my eyes would be glued to the ceiling. <laughs> I would be walking around just looking straight up. Well, it's also 53 guys versus what, 12 to 15. It's just so Yeah, it was, it was a lot. It was a little overwhelming. Yeah, yeah when you say, when you mentioned, when you said Giants, yeah, yeah. there are a lot of. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Find out more on post sports. <laughs> All right, can we ask Larry a, a, a yeah. hockey question? We've been so bad. Yeah, go um, ahead. Just in general, what do you make of of this a one and one start? Just your general thoughts. I thought they played uh, in in the home opener last night. 
um, the way they want to play and the way they probably need to play. I thought they got, you know, real good support from their third and fourth lines last night, um, especially the third line. I thought, well, actually, whatever line Goudreau was on from the middle of the second period on. <laughs> Every single one, you um, mean? <laughs> but, yeah. But the Rangers kind of controlled the game below the hash marks for, you know, a solid 25, 30 minutes. They still, I mean, their their specialty teams are, are you know, a wreck right now. You know, their power play is, is inefficient. Their penalty kill hasn't been very good. Um, um, so they need to work on that. Obviously, they need to improve in in those two areas. They certainly haven't seen the best from Artemi Panarin, who made some brilliant plays last night, but also was the cause of the turnover that that resulted in the winning goal against. Um, they haven't gotten the best from him. I thought Zabanejad was better last night, but they haven't gotten the best from Mika. So I, you know, I I, th- I think they are, um, and I think. Uh, Gerard Gallant used the expression last night, a work in progress. There's no question about that. I think, you know, I I think I like the fiber of the team. I think I like the way they rallied last night after a a pretty bad first 28 minutes again, or or a blah 28 minutes last night. You know, they're working guys in, they're trying it out. What would the, my concern, you know, if, if that's the correct word, is that they haven't won yet and now they're facing this four game trip and this is going to be a tough trip. Playing hungry teams or playing good teams and you don't want them to be 0 2 and 3 after the first five games. You know, you want them to get a win. You, um, teams um, need to be rewarded for their hard work. So it was, it was a major step from Wednesday to Thursday, but now they have to take the next step and win a game. And that's the next challenge because you do need to win games. Goaltending, you've known goaltenders forever you kind of know their mindset you were really pretty close with Lundqvist uh this idea that Jerry Gallant has said that he doesn't believe in goaltending going back to back and we saw that this weekend and I think that kind of backfired on him and put him in a hole a little bit my thoughts anyways what are your thoughts on a young goaltender like Shusterkin not playing back to back if he wants to play back to back yeah well first you know Igor's not that young he's 25 right I mean I guess it's all you know it's all in context so it's not as if he's a 21 or 22 year old goaltender I I think you know I went back and looked at Gallant's history in in back to backs after he said that and he had Luongo in Florida and Flurry in Vegas you know two big time goalies and he stayed away from back to backs for the most part I think one year Flurry uh, one of them might have played three or four back to backs out of eighty two but there were other years where I think Flurry actually played back-to-back the first two games of the season and then never never played back-to-back again the rest of that year. There was another year where, where Gallant stayed away from back-to-backs for the entire year. So I think there's something to that. And I also think in in uh, there there's the um, principle apparently around the league that it's better to go with tandems. It's too much to ask one guy to play 65 games or 60 games. People point to how Stanley Cup winning teams generally have goalies only playing starting in the 50s. I'm not a big proponent of that I'm you know I'm, I'm not prepared to debate the the stats but I'm not a big I, big proponent of that sight unseen I think if you have the horse you, you ride him as much as you can and I think sometimes uh, people would point back to uh, Hank actually a couple of times when he would make 70 starts and play 66 games and the Rangers wouldn't win and they say well you know that's because Lundqvist played too often and no it wasn't because Lundqvist played too often it was because they weren't good enough I understand they're not 
going back to back. I understand the tandem. I think the reason that Shesterkin didn't start the opener, and I know I was shocked. Honestly, I was shocked, and I questioned the decision. I don't think they would have won anyway because they just didn't play well enough. Though you never know. You never know. You go in behind your number one. He makes a spectacular save early. Maybe that changes the the course of the game. But I honestly thought that Dallas being rested coming into the into Thursday night's game had something to do with it. I thought that that Gallant wanted. This is just me. I think Gallant wanted his best goaltender for the second half of the back-to-back when the Rangers were a tired team playing a fresh team. And I think that's going to be an interesting an interesting set of dynamics to look at during the year because when, say, Lundqvist and Ranta were the tandem for the Rangers and, and the Rangers would play home on one night and play on the road the next night, invariably, Hank would get the first game and Ante would get the second game. And that's the way most teams do it. However, you know, we saw um, Gallant go the other way with some input, obviously, from, from Benny Allaire. But I, I do think think that the the rested tired played a a major role in what the Rangers decided to do well I'm curious what you made of the Rangers decision to go with their with their rough and tough lineup with Jared Tenorti um instead of Nils Lundqvist in particular did you feel like that was a decision catered to Washington and I asked Gallant that question straight up and and he said no but obviously he wouldn't say yes I'm just curious how you saw that decision that opening lineup decision? I thought it was, and I think it was. However, it might not have been an inappropriate decision given how nervous Lundqvist was in his first half dozen shifts on Thursday night. And, you know, perhaps, look, we're on the outside. And, you know, we we make perceptions, you know, we we we, we try and, and gather as much as we can, but there, there's never a substitute for being on the inside. And we always know that Gallant has more information than we do. So, yeah, a- after seeing the set of two games, I'd rather have seen Lundqvist play because I think you go with your lineup. However, again, I, I, I think looking back, it probably made some sense, though Tenorti did not have a good game. I know it's only been training camp two games. Always win from one season to another. You have your young players that take the summer off and they come back. And then you're expecting more out of them. Is there anything that you're seeing with any young player, any young Ranger player that's kind of standing out to you? Like, wow, he's it looks like he's going to the go, he's gonna to go to the next level. Oh, Kaka, for sure. It's funny, we weren't permitted at the, the rink last year. And so and we only saw players on the computer screen all year. So one of the first days of training camp this year, you know, I was sitting behind the glass at at the rink and Kako came up and I looked at him and he was, his face was entirely different. You know, he had lost the baby fat. He, his face was streamlined. He was, he was a different body, different face. And he's been a different player. Again, look, they played two games, right? But his ability to break away now, I think, you know, he's 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 gotten a lot quicker. The confidence seems to have has been uh, in, in disproportionate weight to the weight he has lost. So he's playing with more confidence. He's he's able to win pucks and separate. He's winning the battles and taking the puck to the front of the net. The next step, obviously, is is for him to score. But he looks like a different player. And I and I think too, Lafreniere last night and at some shifts at the end of the Washington. Washington game has been 
very impressive too. Uh, but Kako is the guy, and this is his third year. Um, maybe it took two years of, of finding a comfort zone for him in North America in the NHL. It looks like he probably uh, changed his offseason training workouts. I think number 24 is the guy. All right, last one for you, Larry, and Molly. So Montreal, Toronto before the next podcast, and then Nashville, Ottawa. Who's traveling where? Do you got a, you know, Montreal restaurant recommendations? <laughs> Who's going where? I'll be in Montreal and Toronto, and then Larry's taking Nashville, and then I'll be in Ottawa. <laughs> so no joint trips here. Do you have has no. Larry given you recommendations for Montreal? Larry has given me recommendations on everything in life, from hotels <laughs> to <laughs> that's, that's, to music taste to, to everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now that you put it that way, I don't know. <laughs> no, right, so actually, bring back some escargot, Molly, please. Oh gosh, you know I'm not touching that. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for your time, Larry, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Okay, Molly. Good talking to you guys. All right, joining us now and up in the Blue Seats is a friend of the program, former Rangers defenseman, played 16 seasons with the Blue Shirts, and also played three seasons, a little bit over three seasons, alongside the late, great Rod Gilbert from 75 to 77. Let's welcome in Ron Greshner. Gresh, welcome back to up in the Blue Seats here. Jake Brown, Ron Duguay. Molly Walker is on a, on a flight to Montreal right now as we speak. Welcome to the show. How are you? I know you've been battling some health problems lately. Talk about... Uh, what you've been going through and how you're feeling right now? Uh, I feel great. I had a um, at the end of June. I had a triple bypass. I had stents put in about five or six years ago. But I um, I feel unbelievable right now. The best, probably the best I've felt in ten years. You know, when you, you it's funny you get cracked open like an egg and you think you're going to feel really bad. And I end up feeling end up feeling really good. So it's been a strange summer. My mother passed away at the end of August. So it's been like a, uh, a year to reflect back on everything that happened with COVID and everything else. So, Chris, as you've gone through this, because I know you you have kids, you have five kids. Your dad. What do you take out of all of this? Because it's a scare. You're you're dealing with your heart what is moving forward what is it that uh, what's your message to yourself and to maybe others <laughs> well i think uh one thing is don't smoke and uh you know having drinks is not that bad but cigarettes smoke. or don't smoke weed well well i think cigarettes are worse than weed in, in the long run i think there's a uh, uh i smoked probably from the time i was 12 years old until, until maybe this year and i shouldn't have that's probably one of the worst things to ever do and and so my, i haven't i haven't had a cigarette in four or five months now but i uh my kids talked me into that not having one so i promised them i wouldn't have one so i quit cold turkey and i'm done i'm done smoking but i still have a drink i mean you don't have to have a glass of wine or jack and jack and water like my father used to say why add anything to the jack if it was supposed to come with a mix it would come with a mix <laughs> a jack and water ron do you do that do you do jack I, I don't you know me my my drink of choice without much in it is a little bit of tequila I stir it slowly with some ice and I drink slowly and uh, I hit happy hour. By the way, today's Friday and within four or five hours from now, I will be having my first light tequila drink, Gresh. Yeah, well, you don't, you don't you don't mix your tequila with anything, do you? I do not. No, it's straight up. Tequila, tequila and saliva. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gresh, I know that I'm speaking... Uh, not only for myself and, and close friends of yours and teammates, but uh, to the Ranger fans who enjoy seeing you at Madison Square Garden. You've been a great Ranger, just passing as a good friend of ours, Rod Gilbert. Before I talk about Rod, as we celebrated his life last night, you were captain of the New York Rangers. And right now, there's a lot of talk 
or last couple of years, there's been talk who makes a good Ranger captain and they haven't been able to make a decision. So why don't you share with us your idea of what a captain means to a team? Because you were a captain. How how do you describe a good captain in the dressing room? It's really strange, Ronnie, because before I was captain, everybody came to me with their problems. I never, like, you know, whatever whatever it was, you know, we, and we sorted it out inside the locker room or one-on-one, whatever, back in the late 70s when Dave Maloney was captain. And it's kind of like, okay, one guy can be the captain, but the other guy, everybody has to work together. The captain can't do it all on his own. I mean, Mark Messier was a great captain, but he had, you know, Leach was there and Lowe was there and Adam Graves. They had all those guys. And, and you, I, I think the Rangers are going with this three and three thing because they're not exactly sure who should be the captain. If it was me right now, watching the first couple of games, the guy that stood out that played probably uh, to his potential for the first couple of games was Fox. I mean, the kid is like uh, for 180 pounds and he, he's so smart, so quick, so fast with the puck getting around I, I love watching that kid play you know and I, I think he would he would be a good choice maybe not this year but next year for sure so you bring him up and I'm glad you have because I, I was criticized last year because I started to see things in him that I saw in Brian Leach and I said I started talking about comparisons and that was halfway through last year and sure enough he wins the Norris and uh, so what are your thoughts in watching him now as a young man because I know you watch Brian Leach and you play with Brian Leach when you compare the two do you see some similarities Leachy was a there were two different players this guy this guy is like a uh, I don't mean to be make it sound bad but he like sneaks in between like a little weasel you know it's amazing that uh, the things he does are amazing because he just gets in there and like does these fast little plays and fast little passes and Leach did the same thing but was a very direct straight line he was more straight line yeah go around you beat you I I just I love watching this kid play I mean they can say well you know he's second year he won the Norris where is he going to go from here well he can win another one you know it's not like not like he can't I mean I think he got what he's got a goal and an assist in the first two games and it doesn't go on all all stats but he's been their best player and I love watching this kid play he knows where to go how to move the puck how to hang on to it doesn't panic and that that was a Brian Leach what made Rod Gilbert such a great teammate and a great player you got three three and a half years alongside him what made him so special as a ranger from the first day i got there rod was nice to me like you know it's it's strange to say maybe he didn't talk to me the first little bit but that's just the way things are because i didn't know how to speak at all back then i didn't my father used to say you got two ears in the mouth for a reason so shut up and just listen and i sat there and rod was always like one of those guys that were when he walked in the room kind of kind of lit up you know because he was always he just had this I don't know. Like he had a big personality, a big had, personality. Yeah, but he had this kindness about him. You know, he, yeah. he was never like a uh, saying anything mean about anybody. He was never saying anything bad. It was always the team comes first. Rod's right here. Well, I'll help you. And that, that's how Rod was. And I mean, I I've been friends with Rod since 1974. And his passing, I didn't go. I didn't go to any of the things they had in the city for him because I, my mom had passed away and I was up burying my mother. But I remember when I retired in 1990, and so we went hunting with with a friend of ours named Ron Puthel who Rod was very close to. I was probably one of his best friends. We were up hunting in Delhi, New York. So I just retired. So I was still in pretty good shape. You know, and Rod was a few years older than me at that time. So I remember Rod coming out of the shower and walking through the room. And I'm going, oh, my God, I'm going to look like that when I get to be your age. <laughs> and then 15 years later, I'm, I'm walking out of the shower. He goes, oh, it didn't take very long, did it? <laughs> oh, my God. We used to go hunting in a limo. You know, we go <laughs> We go, we go deer hunting in a limousine, and the problem was, me and Rod never brought a gun. So oh. we would drive around the limo upstate New York, and you know, go have a few uh, sodas here and there, have fun. And everywhere Rod went, even upstate New York and Delhi, New York, he'd go into a bar, and people in there would recognize him. And he was gracious and kind, and they, everybody loved him. You can't say that about a lot of people. Rod 
stopped, signed autographs, did stuff out of his way all the time that made him made him that special person. And it's a sad day that, that he passed. And um, I remember every year on his birthday, July 1st, I would call him because his birthday and my friend and his friend Ronnie Pufel's birthday on the same day. And they were usually out in the Hamptons. And uh, I would call them on that day, wish him happy birthday. And this year I called him and I talked to Ronnie, but Rod, Rod was not, not that good at that time and couldn't really talk to me. And, and I kind of knew that things weren't very good and it was very sad. But I mean, every year for like, I don't remember, since cell phones were invented, whenever they came out 30 years ago whatever and Rod was what can you say when he, when Rod walked into the room in the garden walked into the garden or walked into uh, when he had the bar on 3rd Avenue wherever he was he was just a um amazing amazing man yeah. well you know? extremely likable and and oh, when people yeah. ask me what would you learn if you hung out with Rod Gilbert for me I would say look at it, it was how he treated people how he treated fans the time that he would spend with them that extra minute he was really sincere about it it wasn't like he would do it like oh this is part of my job Rob loved doing it if anyone would run into Rod Gilbert at Madison Square Garden and I think for any listener that has spent or encountered Rod Bear, they will tell you all the same thing. He was so nice. He he was nice to me, nice to my mom, my daughter, all of that. And he would just spend the time, take the time, and sincerely care about Ranger fans. And that's why we refer to him as Mr. Ranger, because he was the ultimate ambassador for the organization. And for, for me, uh, Gress, I don't know if you know this, but my first day in New York uh, in 77, June of 77, when I went to Madison Square Garden, New York to sign my contract, who's the first guy I meet? Rod Gilbert. Now, Espo was there. Espo was also a good ambassador. But Rod Gilbert was there and Steve Vickers. I don't believe you were there. I don't think you were around. But on my first day, it's Rod Gilbert. As a Frenchman meeting another French guy, he made me feel very welcome. In fact, he made me feel so welcome that we went out that afternoon, that night. He took me out. <laughs> and, yes, and, enough, leave, it, leave it there. Leave it there. Yeah. I, well, I don't know if I Keep going. Hey, Jake, I don't know if I shared this on the show where he took me. He took me to, he says, come on, Ron, we're going to take you to a spa. Did I, have I shared yeah. that story? The spa story. Yes, yeah. So I'm not going to get yeah. into it again, but you know how first impressions make a difference? My first impression of Rod Gilbert and being in New York, being a New York Ranger. I remember going home after that week thinking, wow, I am going to make this team because I already love my teammates. I love New York, and this is so much me. But Rod Gilbert was a big part of that. Probably the last game, I think before COVID, where I was at Madison Square Garden at a game, Rod was there. And, of course, he wasn't doing well. But I have a photo of my last game at Madison Square Garden with Rod Gilbert. And still on that day, Rod is there telling stories, keeping people happy. And it just never ended. From, from And I had asked, I said, Rod, does this ever get old for you? He goes, no. He says, I love it. I love it. He was the perfect ambassador for, for the New York Ranger brand. And we all have stories about him. But you talk about having stories, Rod. If you play golf with him, if you spent five or six hours with Rod Gilbert, every hole, there's another story. And he was like that. So he's really touched a lot of people. And uh, I'm going to miss seeing him there at the Garden because I, was, I would always look for him. And now he's not going to be there. So 
And you know what the most amazing thing is about what was about Rod years ago when my parents came down or my mother and father at that time and then my kids and all that. Like he never forgot their names. Like he would see my sons and take a picture with them and, and my and my like my older son, Ashton, he was really it really it bothered him that Rod passed away. You know, like when his grandmother passed away, same thing. It was like it all happened within a week, you know. He he was like he like he used to love seeing Rod at the garden come to the garden see Rod because Rod would go you know there's a little sometimes he would do a little heavier French accent so they, they my kids loved him and he was just kind I mean he was just I think I think from Rod I learned I learned how to be very respectful of the fans the people around the garden people coming to the garden the fans coming and I learned that all from from Rod being respectful for the fans and stopping signing autographs doing whatever he had to do to make the fans feel good and that's what Rod did but he made he made us feel good but he made he just made the fans feel good I mean he you know he would tell stories and sometimes you know when we were there and we'd be joking around we'd say we need a translator for rod because he'd get going and, and <laughs> we'd come out in french but he, it was all in in jest and joking it wasn't in being rude to him or anything like that and he loved it you know he'd go he'd go ronnie stop it <laughs> and yeah. but we were like you know we just it wasn't like we weren't picking on him or being mean to him it was just a respect that everybody had for that man and i and there's there's no way no way to put it but he just respected like i i, I watched some of the um when he re- had his retirement in 77 and he goes i love you all you're all my family though to the ranger fans and that that was that, that came from his heart it didn't it wasn't like well, he wrote it down. Had to remember it. It was it was there for him. That's how he was. He really truly loved every Ranger fan, and even even non hockey non Ranger fans. But he he just he respected the game of hockey, and he knew that everything that he had came from that game. That's for a lot of us. It's like that. So he just loved. He loved going to the garden when he walked in there. It was you know it was kind of like Rod's house. You know, Gresh. I'm where I'm going to leave it with this. Um, thanks for sharing your time, but I think it's up to us now, Gresh, you and I and others, to carry that into the building to continue who Rod was. Yes. To be that ambassador, he would want us to do that and be that. Yeah. And I will carry Rod every time I walk into the building. And I think you and I need to continue being who Rod Gilbert was and being good ambassadors. So, Gress, thanks for coming on the show. Love your insight. Wish you very well. Yeah. One other thing I learned from him, Ronnie, yes. is that, you know, those little pins, you know, you carry those little pins. And you know, yeah, the, the Ranger pins. Logo, yeah. yeah. You carry those. He always had some in his pocket. I learned that from him years ago. You give them to the kids, right? Yes. Because you know why you give them to the kids? You give them to the kids, now they want to come back to the garden, and who has to bring them? Their parents. <laughs> Correct. Yes, absolutely. He taught me that also. Yeah. So whenever I'd see him, he would give me a handful of them. Yeah. And I would just hand them out. Rest in peace to Mr. Ranger himself. It yeah. seemed like he truly lived up to that nickname. Gresh, we'll uh, check in with you again during the season. Thanks absolutely. for coming on. Absolutely. My pleasure. of Up in the Blue Seats, our Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown for producing the show. Do us a solid and give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate it. For number 10, Ron Duguay, I'm Molly Walker. We will return next Thursday and every Thursday all season long. Enjoy the next two games. Talk to you Thursday. Thanks for listening.